Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hey there, everybody. This is Vic Mignogna, voice actor for Edward Elric in Full Metal Alchemist, and you guys are listening to The Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. And this is a Nerdy Show Microsode. I'm your host, Cap, and with me is... Josh from Ghostbusters Resurrection. This is Laval, the Nerdy Show Live Programming Director. And Doug from Ghostbusters Resurrection and Nerdy Show. And Auntie Luke would like to know about what could have been. Projects that never came to pass. He says, A few years ago, I heard of plans for a big-budget Del Toro adaptation of At the Mountains of Madness, oh. and I was fucking excited. Yep. Yeah. Then the bad news started rolling in. The Paramount Greenlight was dependent on the success of Scott Pilgrim, which acted as sort of a litmus test for how much you could make on a movie aimed solely at nerds. The movie was shopped around <laughs> other studios, Stupid. and it sounded as if Fox was willing to fund it. Then Prometheus came out. Mountains was canceled because Del Toro deemed major plot points too similar between the two plots. They're extremely similar. Obviously, I find this upsetting. The microsode would be about similar things. Projects that you guys wanted more than anything that ultimately produced nothing. And boy, I've got a long list. (laughs) First of all, Jordowski's Dune. It's a film documentary that discusses the film that was very much in the works prior to David Lynch's adaptation of Dune that would have starred Mick Jagger and Salvador Dali and either had a score by Peter Gabriel or Pink Floyd. It was going to be about 14 hours long and had extensive art done for it. it. Basically, it was never destined to succeed. But the art that could have been produced as a result of it was an insurmountable, beautiful hybrid bastard. So <laughs> it's like the Star Wars that never was. Or like uh, when the Beatles petitioned to be the hobbits in The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. This is like shortly after, like, I don't know if it's before they broke up or whatever, but like they were like, oh, we heard they're, they're going to make a uh, Lord of the Rings movie. Give fab. I think John should be Bilbo. You know, it's like. <laughs> and they- then Leonard Nimoy did the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of films in particular that have crashed and burned, but stuff from every potential entertainment genre. There's been all kinds of projects that have been well-publicized that just never came out. Like three million Superman and Batman movies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There was uh, Superman Lives I, I with mean, Nicolas Cage. Don't even. It's, this one's that we wanted to see, so. Oh, my bad. I mean, it's not like we've had great success with the Superman films that have come out after that. We may as well have gotten the Nick Cage one, and at least we'd have something freaky to stare at. I just can't. Nick Cage just being like, I'm an alien. Like, it's just, <laughs> oh, is Kal-El. <laughs> there was um, a Star Trek film to be directed by Philip Kaufman called Star Trek Planet of the Titans, 
was worked on in the 1970s, just prior to Star Trek Phase Two, which would have been the 1970s Star Trek television reboot. With the original cast, right? Mm. With some of the original cast, most of the original cast, in fact. Leonard Nimoy was like, I don't know, there's a rights over likenesses. And so he stepped back and they created a new Vulcan. But they added a lot of characters that were developed for that because they actually had a screen test and everything for the thing. Those characters, including, uh, I forget what's her name, bald girl from She's first, the first motion, movie, yeah. motion picture. Yeah, her and this human dude, they were characters from this unmade Star Trek series that ended up in the motion picture. So does that make it canon even though it didn't happen? No, because it was no, in a different really way. The story because the, the, show. The, the pilot episode isn't canonical, like everything that happened there because they changed some things in the menagerie. Well, they turned <laughs> the menagerie into the cage later. So it's like, Sorry, it was the menagerie was the pilot. The yeah. cage was... They was the two part, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they changed a couple facts, yeah. you know, in that. So, but that that movie, Planet of the Titans, the Star Trek movie, they talked to Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, and Robert Wise about directing that film. All of them. That was pre Star Wars. Wow. If you can imagine that crazy alternate universe, it must have been a really shitty script if none of them yeah. wanted to do it. It got pretty far along, is my understanding. Doesn't uh, mean it's good. No. Then like, again, I mean, right before, like, while Star Wars was being filmed, Spielberg was working on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, that's true. So too. it's if you have to think, all of the Star Trek movies. The only one that's even remotely close to Close Encounters of the Third Kind in terms of story is Wrath of Khan, you know, so. David Lynch had a uh, kind of sci-fi-esque film that never got made. He's been working on it off and on in between films ever since Eraserhead. It just, it's never happened. It's called Ronnie Rocket. It's about a... Uh, a screaming baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a, a detective seeking to enter a mysterious second dimension aided by his ability to stand on one leg. He's being obstructed... <laughs> This, no, okay, I'm sold. I'm, I'm sorry. All right, you won me back, David. No, he's better at standing on one leg than any of you, any of you jokers. I'm so I'm I'm back. I'm back in. <laughs> he's being obstructed on his quest by a strange landscape of odd rooms and a threatening train, while being stalked by the Donut Men, who wield electricity as a weapon. In addition to the detective story, the, would. the film was to show the tales of Ronald DeArt, a teenage dwarf who suffers from a surgical mishap which leaves him dependent on being plugged into an electrical supply at regular intervals. And he speaks backwards. It was to be played by the, the actor who portrayed the Lord. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. He, he met him while trying to figure out who was going to play this part. You know, oh, wow. the, the pitch was great, but the studio didn't feel like he had a leg to stand on. <laughs> <laughs> he names himself Ronnie Rocket and becomes a rock star, befriending a tap dancer named Electrocute. This is, I'm I can't do it. Holy I, shit. Stop talking. You can read a draft of the script online. Actually. Who are you selling this movie to? All four quadrants. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, when, when he wrote, guys, guys, I've done it. I made a film for everybody. When he wrote this, he just had success off of Eraserhead. Mm. So I'm pretty sure he thought there's, he could get away with anything. Well, you know, you know the thing about David Lynch is he only peaks twice. Oh, uh, <laughs> you're, you're reaching, man. <laughs> you guys know about uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Utopian it's, New it's, York City? It's pronounced Coppola. Coppola. Do, do you know Coppola. about the Francis Ford Coppola's film, A Megalopolis? It yeah. Said, oh, yeah, it's about yeah, the utopia in New York City. And it was, Can I stop doing this, please? It's no, but, it, but in, all, in all honesty, like it's one of those things that was probably too good to live. I get the feeling it's kind of like a, um, a lot like Metropolis in it's, a lot of ways. It's Gangs of New York yeah. set in the future, right? Is that basically... Nothing that I read had a plot. It was more just like visual concepts. <laughs> like, hey, Francis Ford Coppola one time wrote this idea down on a napkin and this busboy found it. Well, yeah, and, and Francis Ford Coppola, Coppola, Coppola. Has, been, has been pursuing it belligerently for years. Well, it's like Stanley Kubrick wanting to make that movie about Napoleon. Mm. Right. I mean, he died before he could do it, but like... Napoleon? Like, yeah, yeah. Apparently, like, he has so much historical, like, information about Napoleon that they, they said that he had a room where there was nothing but, like, card catalogs, 
where you could go over to them, pull out the shelf, and get an index card, and it's all done according to date. So pick a day during the time that Napoleon was alive, and they'll either get that day or a day close to it and tell you where he was and what he was doing on that day based on biographies about him, letters from people who knew him, and everything else. Yeah, it made him the world's most comprehensive Napoleon biography. Yeah. But he just ended up not making a movie because he died. He should have um, just made a museum instead. Well, and also... That, they're actually talking about maybe doing that because yeah. it's so much stuff. That's amazing. Also, there was a film, I think it was Waterloo, that came out. That Waterloo! A, yeah. <laughs> not the ABBA song. Um, and not Bill and Ted. That was uh, a flop. A massive flop right, around right. the same time. Right, That's probably So was, go so was Waterloo. <laughs> Burn that I'm full guy. Of it. I'm full of it. Um, Sorry. And that also works as a joke for something you do at a water park. A massive flop. <laughs> what did Tony get in here? <laughs> something that I was interested in that was a, a recent project that's faded into obscurity is uh, David Fincher directing an adaptation of Charles Burns's graphic novel Black Hole. Set in the 1970s, it's about an STD that causes physical mutations like <laughs> tail growth, multiple eyes. So you um, know, like when someone's infected. Yeah, it was perfect for Fincher. I really hope he picks it up again someday. Totally dark. I, I wouldn't just, be I just surprised. Think, I just thought a horrible joke. It's like Steve Buscemi's the main character and everybody thinks he's infected. But he's <laughs> they had a script written by Roger Avery of Pulp Fiction and Rules of Attraction and Neil Gaiman. Oh, um, okay. I mean, granted, they're not a perfect dream team. They also wrote the script for Beowulf, and that didn't do too well. I never Dude, saw it. I love that movie. I wanted it's to see it. I, I, I really love it. It's not perfect or anything, but for what it is, it's. I think it's awesome. The weakest link is Angelina Jolie. Right. Not because she does a bad job, but because it takes you out of it. I wanted to see it for Crispin Glover as Grindel alone. That sounds like a perfect marriage. He's great. Hey, you, get your claws off her. <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> you know what I have, and I don't like to tell people this because I'm always afraid that it'll either be burned at the stake or somebody will break into my house just to destroy this document. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's the black hole virus. I have <laughs> an original script from Blade Runner 2. I swear to God, it's called Blade Runner 2, Blade Runner Down. Yeah, we, I've heard about this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I bought it on, on eBay and I thought it was a reproduction until I saw the age and that actually has like revision numbers and everything on it. And uh, it's fucking awful. It's, I, I'll bet it's based on what was like a, there was like a novel written as a sequel. Yeah, yeah uh, Blade Runner Two by K. W. Jeter. Right, but not called Blade Runner Down. I, I don't remember if it had a uh, subtitle or not. No, I don't think it did. I think it was just called Blade Runner: The Cash In. The search for more money. Yeah. The good <laughs> news is it was never made. The bad news is I feel like it maybe put a bad taste in the mouth of any anybody who wanted to touch a sequel. Ridley Scott's talking about making Soldier. a sequel to Blade Runner. Yeah, but it's going to be like tied into Prometheus or whatever. It, right? Soldier takes place in the same world. That is Blade true. Runner. Soldier That's is true. like a spinoff of uh, Blade Runner. But this is supposed <clears> to be about things that we, we want right. to see happen. No, but I did want to see it happen. That's a thing. Like, I want to see Blade Runner 2. But this fucking Not thing that, just yeah. ruined, the, ruined the opportunity for I'll, that. I'll tell you mine that I'm a little ashamed of as well, just because it's such a cash grab. But I, Spice it, World 2. Yep. No, <laughs> no. Damn it. I, I just would love to see it. This is, you gotta, this is going back a couple years. After um, Live Free or Die Hard came out, at that time, I was I was a huge fan of the show 24, and I was like, dude, they should make some kind of crossover, because Jack Bauer and John McClane are like peas in a pod, man. Like, they they belong together, yeah. stopping some terrorist threat. After they made Live Free or Die Hard, there was rumors that they were going to make, like, a new one, like, right after that, because it was a big hit, and then, like, the rumors died down again, and then, like, you know, years later, we said they made that A Good Day to Die Hard, and they have since made the other 24 show in London or whatever. Apparently, all of that stemmed from someone at Fox who was like, wait a minute, we at Fox, we own Die Hard and we own 24. And supposedly they had hired some people to, I don't know if they got a script or if it was just a treatment, 
but they made a treatment. There was a story. There was a plot. There was a film that started development where John McClane and Jack Bauer would cross paths. And I shit you not, the working title was Die Hard 24-7. Oh, my <laughs> That's actually pretty good. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty good. And I was like, when I heard, I read that online, I'm like, oh, my God, everything I want in this world and that's is why in it, this movie. And that's why it didn't happen. It's, yeah. it's, the problem is that I picture that movie as being way too funny. Yeah, Funnier than yeah. any of the Die Hard, because Jack Bauer's just like, listen, we got to go do that. And he's like, oh, oh man, like, chill oh, out. Better, yeah, yeah. What about, uh, what about The Man Who Killed Don Quixote? Yeah, Terry Gilliam oh, movie. Yeah. yeah, there was a documentary released called Lost in La Mancha. Lost in La Mancha. It was a forty million dollar picture that was thankfully scaled down to thirty two million since they spent what like most of their budget when somebody had like a herniated disc and then they didn't make the fucking movie. Well, and also all their sets got destroyed in a, yeah, in a blah, freak blah, blah, rainstorm. Blah. Anyway, it's a disaster piece documentary. <laughs> right. Terry Gilliam is actually now that Zero Theorem is out, he's actually picking up Man Who Killed Don Quixote. It's a totally new script based on a similar premise, but he is back at it. He's not. I, I feel like there's a really stupid executive producer behind that. It's still got Johnny Depp attached, so... Oh, good. Yeah. Money, money, money. Yeah, but it's post Alice in Wonderland Johnny Depp. What about the uh, Terry Gilliam-directed Watchmen movie that never happened? Oh. oh. Uh, <laughs> are you talking about the same one that had Tom Cruise play Ozymandias? Yeah. Actually, that's not a bad casting. No, idea. that's a really yeah, good one. Yeah. And then didn't was it was it Aronofsky? Like that's literally it? yeah. No, Aronofsky literally was, is. Aronofsky was attached to Watchmen for a while. Yeah, Aronofsky. But that, Gil- he has the right tone. For Gilliam that. stepped back because he, he said he said it was I, unfilmable. Yeah, and I think he's right. Well, yeah, because so. he wanted it to be what like four hours long or something insane, right? Yeah, there was something where like he refused to scale down parts of the story, and they didn't want to break it up. They also, didn't it is like just it's just too big. It's like, it is, yeah. man. It is a uh, dense. Listen, book. the thing is that like the thing that we got. May not be the thing that was canceled, but it is what we have. And, you know, it was a cursed project to begin with. Sometimes these projects are thankfully put out of their misery, you know, because maybe they would have been exploited or not done as well as that is we true. Now you're killing yeah. the whole premise like, of this Microsoft. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, but, it's further but what about what about Escape from Earth? Ah, uh, yes, uh, yes. John Carpenter and also Kurt Russell. They wrote a treatment together and still to this day talk about it. And the fact there is allegedly, and this is allegedly, uh, Charlie Hunnam is in talks to play with some form of Snake Plissken, and it's almost yeah. going to be like an expendable style where like everybody's getting together, like the old crime, the old gang, like Brain and everyone, and they're going to pull off a heist, which I'm assuming revolves somewhere around that original script, because it's still John Carpenter involved. Escape from Earth would have been taking that to the logical conclusion of it's, that trilogy. Yeah. Right. But also the one John Carpenter thing I wanted to see that never happened was a sequel to The Thing. Oh. Where he talked about doing it recently. Like when they right. when they did that prequel to The Thing that was mm-hmm. not very good. The 2011 one. Yeah. At the same time, he had a sequel idea for The Thing and his idea was that to make up for the fact that Keith David and Kurt Russell are a little bit older, he would just cover them in makeup with like snow and like frostbitten uh, makeup so that you couldn't tell that they were actually ah. like that many years older and then just continue the story from there. We've been talking about movies. We can go on about this. We can go on for real. So maybe we should save some of the other projects for another day, perhaps another microsode if you'd like to hear it. We haven't even barely tapped video games. The Highlander video game looked fucking amazing. I don't remember what development studio was making it, but it looked amazing. It looked almost like... Uh, Ninja Gaiden camera angles where it's a little bit closer than God of War. Third person action adventure. You are the oldest immortal in the world. You discover you're immortal when Pompeii explodes and you crawl out of the ashes alone and you discover that you can't die. And every time you kill somebody else who is an immortal, you experience the quickening just like in any Highlander film. 
And the purpose of the quickening is you gain like the skills of the person that you killed. Like Mega Man with Robot Masters? Yes, like Mega Man. But in the movies and stories and television show, never really showed you the, the abilities the they the got. Quickening. Yeah, or they were just like, oh, you're stronger now some, somewhat. You get quickening abilities that you can unleash on enemies. A as you kill more, you like earn more quickening points or whatever, and you turn red and you do the ability that only that person would be good at. Like, you know, if you killed a swashbuckler, you'd get a move that the swashbuckler could do and stuff like that. Oh my God. But the art was beautiful i mean the the concept of starting from pompeii like i don't we, we talked about it. it's like how far could you take it and it says they go well into the future like that was one of the claims they make so i don't know if that meant they went into outer space they <laughs> went into like the, like colonies the like fucking highlander 2 territory <laughs> that sounds like the coolest idea for, for game, highlander yeah. video game. like yeah. you, you really could not make it any cooler it's like it's start at the concept. beginning go go as far in the future as you dare especially now with all the next gen stuff like say what you about rise like rise is not a great game but it looks fucking gorgeous i was just kind of imagining that same kind of thing where you're first person you have hands and then you're just climbing out of this fucking ashes well what would be cool now is take a dark souls approach to it where oh, people where other you fight other people yeah, yeah. well you're, it's a single player game but other people can invade your game and there and you're like oh shit oh, another yeah. immortal has shown up and you have to find each other that would be amazing just like watchdogs or whatever uh, exactly yeah. there are so many comic books i want to talk about right now like i, I could talk to you about the time that Swamp Thing almost went back in time and met Jesus. Um, that <laughs> what? Was, that was approved, but then canceled at the last minute. Approved uh, by the Vatican? <laughs> no, approved by Jesus. <laughs> but instead, I'll, I'll talk about how uh, Daniel Way, before he had a career, before he was a known name, got a gig writing a book for Marvel. He was going to do a Max series of Ant-Man, and Max is their uncensored adult line. Oh, Jesus. And at the time, Ant-Man completely obscure. The Avengers were not really in vogue. And I think at the end of the day, they's like, we can't do this to an Avengers character. Mm -hmm. He didn't care about Ant-Man. No one really cares about Ant-Man. So he was ready to do what everyone really has done with Ant-Man, which is let's forget all that bullshit and make him interesting. Here's an interview he had with the Pulse to personify how this is going down. The Pulse said, what are your goals of this series? Way said, midget prostitute in a plush kangaroo costume. <laughs> they, they asked, what are some of the elements that will make this comic have to be for mature readers? Way said, the butt-fucking, mostly. <laughs> oh, it sounds like immature readers to me. <laughs> mostly the butt-fucking. That's fantastic. Yeah, so oh, um, it, was, it was solicited. There were covers out there. It was pushed for months and months and months. And in high school, I waited for this book to drop, and it did not. <laughs> they hate Ant-Man. <laughs> like, like the Avengers 2 is coming out and they just erased him from Ultron's backstory I mean he's gone we'll so. see I mean they, well, it, it's because of the butt fucking mostly mostly <laughs> mostly, <laughs> mostly the butt fucking uh, <laughs> it just doesn't fit in with the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. universe <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much Anti Luke for requesting this like we said we got so much more to say if you guys want more you know what to do you gotta get yourself a microsode and the way to do that is to subscribe to Nerdy Show on Patreon. The entire network is listener supported. You're a listener. If you enjoy what you heard, drop a couple coins our way. And if you donate $5 or more, you'll be able to enter into our Microsoft raffle or our Nerdy FM raffle and then decide what we talk about or what people listen to for 30 minutes on a song block on Nerdy FM. You can say goodbye to all the other hosts, but uh, Doug's still here. And we also got Tony. I'm Tony. I came in on the Eastern Wind. Weird. We're going to give some shout-outs to some awesome people who've contributed to us recently, and then also extend that discussion just a hair, and then we'll say goodbye. But I suppose we should mention some current events as well. For starters, the reason I got Doug and Tony here is that we're about to record some additional content for some other projects. Nerdy Show has a lot of unfinished projects of our own to take care of, and I think if you're a longtime Nerdy Show listener, you know what those are. The Star Trek dub, Weekend at Bernie's 3, Night of the Living Bernie, the D&D comics, 
Call of Cthulhu, which is still in post-production. Star Wreck, the RPG, and um, did I miss anything? Oh yeah, Lightning Dogs. Oh yeah, that of thing. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. All that stuff is currently in some stage of production, and our goal is to make sure that all those come out as soon as humanly possible. They're all amazingly cool projects, many of them fan-funded projects, and all things that uh, we've been working on for quite a while. The trick is to be able to bring them to fruition while we're doing all the other stuff we have to do on a regular basis for the Nerdy Show Network. And personal lives, which, you know, we do pretend to have. Yeah, it's so, tricky. And we're, a level of quality that we are trying to meet. Yeah. <laughs> and eating. We need to do that, too. Yeah, yeah. And we're still very much a, a grassroots volunteer organization. So, like we said, every little bit helps if you support us on Patreon. Or if you shop on Amazon, just go to nerdyshow.com slash Amazon before you add your stuff to your cart. Check out that way, and a little bit of what you bought goes back to Nerdy Show. It's an easy, very convenient way to support the network if you can't afford a monthly subscription. But there are a couple people who can. First of all, we'd like to welcome Sammy Needhart, who says, Hey guys, I would like to thank you for making such consistently fantastic content and for just being amazing people in general. I love listening to your podcasts and hearing what you have to say. It really brightens my day. That lady doesn't need a heart. She's got plenty to spare. Says, I know $5 isn't really a whole lot in the scheme of things, but I hope every little bit helps. Hey, that keeps us all swimming in soda over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it actually, Sammy, it does help. It helps a great deal. Thank you so, so much. She's a new subscriber for Patreon, but if you want to give a one-time donation for any reason, you can still do that at nerdyshow.com support, and that's exactly what Sage Zero did. Sage Zero wrote in saying, Passive perception. You see a flash, and smoke fills the room. As you regain your wits and steady yourself, the smoke begins to clear, and on the floor, you see a donation. What do you do? Well, girl, I slip into my G-string. Okay, that's what Cap does. I am, I am going to roll a spot check to make sure that there's nothing else beneath the donation. Yeah. This sounds suspicious to me. Sends traps and then whatnot. Absolutely. Me and but Doug if it's are all playing. clear, then yeah, let's, uh, let's take it. And then I send Doug to go pick it up just in case there was something I missed <laughs> and my roll wasn't high enough. I played as a goblin rogue, so I was, uh, I was definitely small enough and nimble enough. So I gotcha. And did I you can... normally roll with, say, a squadron of rogues? No, actually, I was the only one. Oh, okay. So you were a squadron of one. Yes, yes. You yes. were the rogue leader. I was the rogue leader of that group, yes. <laughs> Convenient segue. So you may remember... A couple weeks ago, we put out our latest episode of State of the Empire, our Star Wars speculation podcast. Back then, we didn't know for sure if Doug or I would be able to go to Star Wars Celebration. Turns out, we are. We're going to be joining Matt in Anaheim, California, and uh, seeing what J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy have cooked up out there. And, and uh, Tony's going to be jealous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll be playing <laughs> demos of Battlefront. Fuck you. And tweeting about it. Fuck you. <laughs> You got a third one, I got another fuck you in me. So. I don't know, that's really all I was looking forward to. Okay, that's fair. But there's probably something that qualifies. All right, so then yeah, a preemptive yeah. fuck you, Doug. Yeah, yeah. For, what, for when I, uh, for when I you get, get to see there. the teaser, the new trailer for the first time for anyone else. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. That'll probably happen. Oh, um, then that's, that's a fuck you. <laughs> but we'll be out there, and we'll be bringing you an episode of State of the Empire, most likely recorded out in Anaheim, just after the uh, convention ends. So look forward to that. Also, Lightning Dogs fans, look forward to... Some brand new Lightning Dogs episodes coming very soon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, buddy. And, D&D &D fans, I hope you are ready for this. Because this week, 
We're re-releasing the first two episodes of Dungeons & Doritos, our epic tabletop role-playing podcast, completely remastered. And without being George lucas Yeah, we, <laughs> we haven't sort of special editioned them up. Now, we totally could someday. We could add in music Absolutely. and sound effects and everything, but that's kind of and up Ewoks. to you. Right now, the fact is, is when we made these original episodes and we're overwhelmed by the response from everybody listening back in 2009... Like, this is our first smash hit. We didn't know why it was a smash hit, because it was so rough. We'd never recorded anything like it before, and quite frankly, by our standards today, the original episodes, I've always felt, were kind of unlistenable. To be fair, Mike and Hex were both very loud, and your ability to level them out was a tad archaic. Yeah, well, that's fixed now. It has all been restored to the best of our abilities, and I think they sound pretty goddamn good. So those first two episodes are done. Originally, the first episode was actually divided into two parts that's now been compressed into a single episode. So the first two parts of the first adventure, episode one and episode two, will be coming out this week. Look for them on nerdyshow.com or subscribe to Dungeons and Doritos on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can do all of those things with your computer devices. <laughs> computer Th- devices. Thanks, Captain Obvious. I, I, I was in my civilian disguise. How did you know it was me? But before we go, and since we got Tony here, we thought we'd expand the discussion of pop culture projects that never came to pass. You guys highlighted a lot of movies, but there are an equal, if not greater, number of games that have hit the newsstands, hit the, the pop culture consciousness, and then just fizzled out. I've brought one that's kind of legendary and two honorable mentions, one from my childhood and one that I wish was a project that never came to fruition and was just vaporware. Duke Nukem, I'm looking at you. (laughs) The honorable mention before I get to the meat and potatoes is a game called Robotech Crystal Dreams, which was a game for the Nintendo 64. Now, I'm a big Robotech fan. And this was a game that promised a completely open world, got to fly around in a Veritech, got to see the reflection of your pilot in the canopy in the first person as you were flying this in space during the Zentradi War. I can't even imagine this on an N64. Apparently, they were doing it under the budget for the graphics of the system. And then the game company went bankrupt. Now, the other title that I have brought as a project that never came to fruition is Starcraft Ghost. Oh, yeah. Man, I followed that for quite a while. Absolutely. Started way back in 2002 as a title that was announced for the Nintendo GameCube. They would release impressive stills. It was a third-person shooter as opposed to an RTS. It was some of the most epic gameplay you'd ever seen out of the StarCraft universe, exploring the mythos and doing that stuff that Blizzard does so well, including but not limited to talking about a project that then takes forever to come out. (laughs) And in this case... was officially canceled, unfortunately. And it's just one of those things where everybody was getting really excited for it every time they'd show new gameplay. And it it, it jumped platforms because it went from the GameCube to the Xbox 360 and the PS3. Even changed genres a little bit from stealth-oriented to then just action shooter. like Action stealth, especially once more games like that that would utilize cover and whatnot came out. They saw they could do both. And then just poof. Like a ghost. Like a ghost. <laughs> and then, just I guess, in closing, pour another one out for Star Wars 1313. Yeah, if you want to hear us lament Star Wars 1313, just go back to the uh, State of the Empire backlog at nerdyshow.com slash Star Wars. Or oh, man. just tune your ears to that hashtag on Twitter and hear a million voices cry out at once, <laughs> yeah. only to be silenced. It is still the most incredible demo I've ever seen at E3 with Star Wars 1313, and uh, oh my god, it's just a crime. I hope it comes back someday. Well, you know, we thought we'd never get Battlefront 3, Yeah. and now we're getting Battlefront, like, redo. Fuck! (laughs)
So actually, since the recording of the previous episode meet that you just listened to, I fell into an interesting hole of something that I was aware of, but didn't really truly know about. Maybe you remember around 1995, there were commercials for a video release for a film called Thief and the Cobbler. Oh, yes. It looked terrible. It looked like an Aladdin ripoff. Yeah, even as a kid, I was like, why are they just trying to do Aladdin? I know a lot about this project. Okay, well, now I do too. Oh, yeah, no, that is, (laughs) when you say you fell down a deep well, that is a deep well. A deep (laughs) well. We could, in fact, devote a whole episode to it, but instead I'll give you guys the cliff notes. It was a film that was a, a masterpiece that was cannibalized. It was in development long enough that first and foremost, they have actual recordings of Vincent Price doing his lines before he died. <laughs> and the character he voiced was the inspiration for the genie, which came out before this film hit theaters. Right. One of the things that made it look like a ripoff was that there's a character named Zigzag, who's a mm-hmm. vizier, who actually looks like a Disney's genie and Jafar mashup. Absolutely. And in fact, the same animators from Thief and the Cobbler went on to work on Aladdin. Because this film was in production from 1964 until 1995, making it the longest production for a motion picture ever, 31 years. And the way the design, especially when you mentioned the genie, like the way the genie is like all smooth curves, and yep. I don't know, it's, it's obvious when you finally see it side by side. Thief and the Cobbler is the brainchild of uh, Richard Williams, who was the animation director for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. What he wanted to do with the movie was to make an animated masterpiece, to not let anything hold him back, to make what would hopefully become a commercial product, but to do something to a scope of artistry that simply no one was doing. It was animated in a full widescreen format. It was lavish. It's like Sleeping Beauty, really. If you look at the story of Sleeping Beauty and how Walt Disney practically bankrupted his company in order to make that film, it's the same level of of detail and attention placed into it. In in a lot of ways, with an infinite level of complexity added onto it, because Mm -hmm. where Sleeping Beauty was based on the tapestries of medieval Europe, this is based on the art of the Middle East, which is considerably more complicated, and it shows. Yep. It is literally... The most breathtaking piece of animation I have ever seen in my entire life. I mean, complete armies, mechanical armies with thousands of moving pieces, each animated by hand. Yeah, all practical animation, and some of it involves complex three-dimensional object turnarounds, but like what you do with CGI now with a building, but done with hand-drawn animation. It's incredible, and the version that hit theaters in the 90s featured a lot of new animation that they had put together, and you can tell, you can tell, because there is a level of quality. quality drops because because when, when, when i say it looked like crap that was because the trailers of what they were showing was almost entirely the song sequences that they shoved into this film whereas to make it more like aladdin right he was working on this for a very long time doing it incrementally every now and then funding would come in and then finally when spielberg saw some of what he'd done for thief and the cobbler already he hired him on for roger rabbit and then with that roger rabbit fame and the academy awards warner brothers agreed to produce the film But not surprisingly, he missed all those deadlines for Warner Brothers because it was a huge project and uh, they basically seized the film and turned it into garbage. Yeah. I still watched the original version and was young enough to enjoy Jonathan Winters. But since learning the story, it's just it's heartbreaking. It is truly heartbreaking. The good news is that the film has earned a place in history. And I've been talking, obviously, like I've seen it. Well, I have. Thanks to the recobbled edition which is an amazing fan project, one of the most comprehensive fan projects of all time. 
It is the entire feature film. You can watch it on YouTube, though. Part four is on Vimeo, but we'll link to where you can check out all that on this episode's page. Went it, back to like unfinished animation and whatnot and animatics to fill in the pieces that it, were missing. Yeah, it uses the original work print of the film. So it's a complete version of what the director intended. Yeah. And all the highest quality versions of each scene available. So it'll cut to pencils. It'll cut to storyboards even. Mm -hmm. But then it'll go to full HD widescreen presentation. It's amazing. It's really incredible. Not to mention, I mean, come on, the recobbled cut for the thief and the cobbler. It's just, it's a perfect naming <laughs> convention, guys. Credit where credit's due. And uh, the entire history of this incredible project is chronicled in Kevin Schreck's documentary, Persistence of Vision, which will also link to where you can uh, check out on this episode's page. I just, within the past week, fell into this hole. I saw a gif on Tumblr of one of the sequences, and I was like, wait a minute, I thought that film was crap. This looks amazing. I've never seen anything like this before. And then several hours later with wide bloodshot eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being a kid and seeing the marketing for that film because it was marketed years before it actually hit theaters as The Arabian Night. They call it Arabian Night, also The Princess and the Cobbler and Thief and the Cobbler. It was released three separate times, all three bastards. Wow. Yeah. See the recobbled cut, kids. Matthew Broderick <laughs> and Jonathan Winters do not do anything for this it, film. The, the Miramax cut of it is actually streaming on Netflix right now. Don't even. <laughs> do not. Not even Vincent Price is worth the price of admission. That was, actually, that was actually pretty all right. Pretty good Vincent Price. Thank you, Cap. I appreciate your saying so. That, that kind of caught him bottomed out, but... It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so much I can do. <laughs> so like we said, there are so many more projects that never came to pass that we could talk about. If you'd like to see a follow-up, if you'd like to request more, you know what to do. Support us on Patreon. Get yourself a microsode and uh, let us know what you thought of this episode or if you know of any other projects that uh, we missed out on. Maybe we don't know about them. Taking us out, we got a track that is part of a unfinished project, a project that will probably never come to pass. It's from Grand Buffet. And uh, even back when I first saw them in, like, say, 2003, they performed a song from what would have been a children's album called Gorilla and Fox. They still play some tracks from it every now and then. They said at one point they want to do this kids album after they'd gotten more established as Grand Buffet and they would release it as a different group so it would be more appropriate for children. They wouldn't find their rap albums with the swear words. But last I heard, they said it's going to come out in 2040. So, uh, so we'll see. We'll see if they... Uh, if it, he if is it, hoping. Yeah. This is a track called uh, Let's Go Find the Cat. And uh, they still perform this track as well as a track called The Treehouse. But this is the only official version of a track from Gorilla and Fox that has ever been released. This is Grand Buffet, Let's Go Find the Cat. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Doug. I am Tony. Hey, what's up? It's time to reacquaint yourself with this heavy shit. We're doing that rap rock shit right. I know you heard some of the fake stuff. <laughs> you might want to listen to this. This is how it's done. Just think about it.
listening to nerdy show if you like what you heard please rate and review us on itunes or like and follow us on soundcloud as listener supported entertainment we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the nerdy show network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via patreon any contribution gets you exclusive outtakes episodes and images from across the network and there's even more perks available just head to patreon.com nerdy show To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes and SoundCloud. Leave a comment, like and share, and follow Nerdy Show on all of your favorite social networks. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. I just sucked all the energy right out of the room. Um. (laughs) Like a milkshake.